Hey guys and girls, welcome, welcome to, to Single to Sealed. Sealed. I'm Jerry, your host, and here with me is my co-host and wife, Brianna. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have dedicated this podcast to helping fellow Christians navigate the treacherous waters of dating all the way to the winding roads of marriage. All are welcome in our podcast family, and we are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe, follow, or favorite. Let's talk. Hello, Single to Sealed podcast family. Thank you for joining us for another episode today. We are so excited. Jerry, do you want to introduce our special guest? Of course. So our special guest is Brother Brad Wilcox. You guys know him and love him, and we're so happy to have him with us today. So by way of brief introduction, (laughs) Brother Wilcox has many titles. A few of the most notable ones are Second Counselor of the Young Men's General Presidency, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, professor of ancient scripture at BYU, BYU alumni, teacher, speaker, author of amazing books such as The Continuous Atonement, husband to his wife, Deborah, father to four children, and has grandchildren too. How many grandchildren do you have, Brother Wilcox? Well, we've got the ninth one coming. Oh, wow. Congratulations. (laughs) That's really exciting. It's a lot of fun. I love to read to them. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of fun with that. My Our toddler usually lasts about, I don't even know, maybe two pages into the book, and then she tries to close it. So <laughs> we're not quite there yet. Well, hang but, in there. Um, Keep going. <laughs> we will. And then one of your most notable talks, the, His Grace is Sufficient, is actually one of my favorites of yours. That was game-changing for me right before I went on my mission. I love that talk. We know that a lot of people have listened to that. You look at the comments on your talk, and you have people, non-members even, that have made comments about how much they love it. So I'm so glad it's been well-received. It makes me happy to think that that helped you on your mission. Yeah, it really did. And we know that you also served a mission in Chile, and then you were a mission president later in Chile as well. Is that correct? Yeah. I served in the Viña del Mar mission when it was a brand new mission. Um, from 79 to 81. And then I got to go back to that country and serve as the president of the Santiago East Mission. And that was from 2003 to 2006. So our motto in our mission was, Hoy en 20 años y para siempre jamás. Today in 20 years (laughs) and forever. And it's almost been 20 years now for our missionaries coming up in, uh, you know, 2013, uh, we'll start having missionaries who've been home for 20 years. And and that was always our goal was to say, you know, be strong now and be strong in 20 years. And so we're going to have a big 20-year reunion and see see everybody again. That's awesome. I love that. I served in Lima, Peru, so kind of near there. Oh, yeah. We had <laughs> yep. some great missionaries from Peru. We just loved them. Yeah, it's it's great. I love I love South America. I'm really happy you didn't say we hated some of them. <laughs> <laughs> no way, no way. <laughs> the wicked side of Brad is coming out. <laughs> One thing that I love that I read online at the end of your bio was that you love peanut M and M's and pizza. And I told Jerry as soon as I read that, you guys would make good friends because that's Jerry's favorite things too. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying hard to like salads. I'm I'm trying. <laughs> it's a, it's a yeah. challenge, but I I keep keep going for it. Awesome. Well, so Brad, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us before we get into the the bulk of this podcast? No, I'm excited to speak with you about the the topic. I I love the focus of the podcast, and I'm grateful that you're willing to take on some of these subjects that are hard and in today's world, even a little unpopular. But uh, I'm proud of you for seeing the importance of marriage and for standing up for marriage and family and for standing up for the importance of family and religion in our lives. So I really admire you for doing this. Thank you so much for that. We are definitely trying our best here at Single to Seal to help people to feel the family bond that we're trying to create. Have this be a hub where people can come and be comforted, but also not be afraid to be cut down a little bit. Be a little corrected. <laughs> <laughs> so that we can you know, improve, improve this dating culture that we're seeing in the world today. And we're very grateful for all you listeners who are out there that are helping to support us and continue to listen. So keep sharing with your friends. 
tell your neighbors, tell your friends, friends and so forth. Friends, neighbors. <laughs> friends, neighbors. <laughs> and so that people can continue to enjoy the content that we have to bring for you. Thank you again. All right. So let's go ahead and get to that topic. So today we are talking about the restoration of dating, carefully named the restoration of dating on purpose. And why is that, Brad? Well, if you think about the gospel, Jesus taught the gospel in its completeness. But then in the years that followed Christ's death and the death of the apostles, the world fell into apostasy. You don't have to study too much about the Middle Ages to see why people call them the Dark Ages. Many reformists saw the need for uh, changes in what had become of Christ's church. And many of them, many of the reformers looked forward to a day where there might be a restoration. And we believe that that restoration came when in the year 1820, a young boy named Joseph Smith prayed and God and Jesus came to him and restored the fullness of the gospel. It didn't all happen at once. It kind of happened over time. But they told Joseph that the fullness of the gospel that had been lost needed to be restored along with the authority to perform the ordinances that would be saving in the lives of humankind. So we recognize the apostasy and we recognize the need for a restoration. And many of us today celebrate and are very grateful for the restoration that came. In the same way, I think that the world is seeing an apostasy right now when it comes to dating and when it comes to engagement. Uh, and it's time for us to seek a restoration of what dating is really meant to be and a restoration of what an engagement is meant to be. As we think about dating, the word itself has come to mean so many different things in so many different cultures, and it changes from generation to generation. People of my generation see dating as a very casual thing, something that was very lighthearted and didn't carry a lot of commitment. Youth today hear that I went to every high school dance with a different girl, and they all freak out. They're like, oh, you were a player. I'm like, no, I wasn't a player. I was just smart enough to know that that was a time in my life when I needed to get to know a lot of different girls and, and I could enjoy a lot of different friendships. And dating was a very casual thing. Now, dating has taken on, for many young people, a very serious commitment. I mean, if you ask somebody out for a date, that's just like, wow. That's huge. And it's this big commitment. My son, when he was in a, a YSA ward in Provo, he said, Dad, you know, he said, I, I can't ask a girl out. I said, how come you're not dating? He said, I can't ask a girl out because the minute you ask a girl out, then everybody says you're a couple. And he says, then nobody else wants to spend any time with you or get to know you. I just think it's a shame that dating has taken on such a serious context in a Latter-day Saint culture, but outside the Latter-day Saint culture, it even has a, a different context. If you look at most definitions of dating, the word date and dating on the internet, they have sexual connotations. It means that you are a couple, that you're boyfriend, girlfriend, and that you're sleeping together, that you're having sexual experiences together. That's what has come to be attached to the idea of dating. So I'm at a point now where I hesitate to even use the word dating because it's going to mean something different to somebody in Europe, to somebody in Africa, to somebody in South America, to somebody in different parts of the United States, to members and non-members. And so instead of dating, I always say spending time together, one-on-one. -on -one. That's how I define a date, spending time together, one-on-one. -on -one. Then they become a boyfriend, girlfriend. Then I say they've entered a serious relationship. I mean, I just try to use words 
that can't be confused by so many people because the term dating has come to mean so many different things. And that kind of confusion speaks to me of an apostasy. And I think we need to have a restoration of what dating is supposed to do. It's supposed to give young people a chance to get to know each other. It's supposed to give young people a chance to become better friends. It's supposed to give them a chance to practice social skills, learn how to talk and listen. I feel like right now, where so much connecting is happening over social media, young people don't know how to talk and listen anymore. It scares me that I go to a dance, a youth dance, and I see boys texting girls and asking them to dance. And I say, why don't you just go up to her and say, may I have this dance? And they freak out. They're like, no, no, no. (laughs) And then, you know, you hear about guys that drive up to a house and then text the girl to come out to the car because they don't want to go in and they don't want to meet the parents. And I just think, boy, they've forgotten what all this is about. Uh, Even when I go to restaurants and I see couples together and they're both on their phones. The guy's sitting there on his phone. The girl's sitting there on her phone. And I don't even know whether they're communicating with each other or other people. But I think, gosh, you're missing it. This is your chance to really get to know somebody. This is your chance to really find out what you have in common and to make a friendship that goes beyond the surface communication of social media. So I think we need a restoration in dating, and I think we need a restoration when it comes to engagement, too. I think that Latter-day Saints are about the only people left in the world who understand what an engagement is for. If you ask anybody in the world, why are you engaged? Because they've already been sleeping together since their second date, and they've already been living together for a year. So why are they getting engaged? And every one of them will say, oh, it's just time to plan the party. It just gives us a chance to plan the big party. And that's what they think an engagement's for? No way. No way. Whenever I talk to young couples, I always remind them that a relationship is built on four legs, just like a table sits on four legs. One of those legs is an intellectual relationship. You know, having the chance to read together, having the chance to discuss current events, having the chance to share favorite books and favorite classes that you've taken, attending devotionals together, attending forums and lectures together, building an intellectual connection so that you've got something in common there. Another leg of that four-leg table is to have a, a social relationship. It's a chance for you to be friends. It's a chance for you to have fun together, to find out which sports you like in common. My wife took me to my very first football game. Well, I'd gone to football games before that, but when I was at the football games in high school, I was the mascot. So I had a big old foam bulldog head on, and I could never quite see what was going on in the game. So I never knew much about what happened in a football game until my wife took me to a game at BYU. And she had to explain to me what was going on because <laughs> when I was a kid, I hadn't played much. And uh, and whenever we played, it was just in the neighborhood. And in the neighborhood games, you always played offense and defense. So I remember yeah. going to a game at BYU and, and uh, I was just getting into it and screaming and yelling with all the fans and And then they took Steve Young, who was the quarterback at the time. They took him out of the game. And I was so upset. And I stood up and I yelled. I said, why are you taking him out? He's doing a good job. And my wife said, sit down, Brad, sit down. I said, what's the matter? And she said, it's time for the defense. (laughs) And I didn't even know there was such a thing as a defensive thing. But she probably had to apologize for you. (laughs) She was like. 
Sorry, guys, he doesn't even go here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good thing that we started building a social relationship. We found things that we like to do together. We found things that we enjoyed together. We found movies we like to watch together. I introduced her to some of my favorites. She introduced me to some of hers. In fact, our first kiss was when we were coming home from a Valentine's dance at BYU. And we were talking about some of our favorite movies. And uh, she said she loved Romeo and Juliet. Now, we're talking... This is the old one. This is the one done by Franco Zeffirelli. I mean, this is the one that had yeah. uh, Leonard Whiting and Olivia Hussey. I mean, this is the classic one. And uh, she said she loved that show. Well, I said, my gosh, I love that show too. I said, I had the biggest crush on Olivia Hussey, who was Juliet. And she <laughs> said, well, I had a big crush on, on Leonard Whiting, who was Romeo. I said, well, I'll tell you what. You close your eyes and pretend I'm Leonard Whiting. I'll close my eyes and pretend you're Olivia Hussey. And that was our first kiss. That was real smooth. <laughs> I'm not so sure that's smooth or that's sad that your first kiss was robbed by Romeo. <laughs> wow, that's some really good that's, really that's some really good stuff that you're sharing right here. So along with a social relationship and along with an intellectual relationship, you need to have a spiritual relationship. You need to be able to be on the same plane spiritually. Now, we live in a world where people say spirituality and religion don't matter. We find the studies say that it does matter, that those that marry within their own faith have a much stronger chance of staying together than those who marry outside of their faith. We also find through the research that those who have faith find greater happiness in their marriages as well. So there's a, a valid argument for having faith in your marriage and sharing spiritual values, spiritual ideals, and, uh, and spirituality. Now, spirituality is kind of an individual thing, and religion becomes the group practice of spirituality. Jeffrey R. Holland spoke at a devotional at BYU, and Elder Holland said, you know, maybe spiritual would be all we would need if we all lived alone on mountaintops. Then we could just be spiritual and not religious. But we don't live alone on mountaintops. We live in families. We live in marriages. We live in communities and societies. And that's why we need religion, because religion helps us bring those mountaintop spiritual ideals down to where the rubber hits the road. I mean, it's easy to say, I love everyone, I love everyone. Well, then try loving everyone when you're driving on the freeway and the lady in front of you is swerving because she's texting. Try saying, I love everyone, when it's the middle of the night and the baby's been crying for three hours and you're both so frazzled that you're ending up you know, snapping at each other. See, in a moment like that, you don't need spirituality. You need religion. You need the norms, the standards, the expectations, the commandments that make us say, look, if I really do love everyone, then that means I have to be patient with a crying baby. And that means I have to be patient with a spouse who's frustrated with a crying baby. And that means that I have to be patient, even with that lady who's texting in front of me on the freeway in a construction <laughs> zone. See, we live in a world where those who see the need for spirituality see little need for religion. But in reality, boy, we need religion. And we find that when a couple can find commonalities in their spirituality, in their religious life. I mean, our spirits need to be nurtured. That is a reality. I mean, people can say there's no need for spirituality, no need for religion, but they can't argue with the fact that there is a need inside of us, a human need to find meaning and there is a human need to seek for something that feeds and touches our spirits. Why else do we respond 
to beautiful music, why else do we respond to promptings and feelings of the spirit? Our spirits are hungry for it. And so to enter a relationship and say there's no need for that side of our relationship, people find pretty quickly that the relationship becomes empty. But if there's room for God, if there's room for Christ in that relationship, then the relationship takes on a deeper and more profound meaning. I felt that even when I left high school and went on my mission. I thought I had these awesome friends in high school that were going to be friends for life. Then I get to the MTC and the missionaries I was with became better friends in a matter of a week than some of my friends from high school that I'd been with since I was a kid. And I thought, how did that happen? And then I realized it's because we had the gospel in common. It's because we had a love of the Savior in common. It's because we had a dedication to serve him, a, a determination to serve him in common. And that made us better friends and closer friends. And the same thing is true in and a marriage too. Well, the last side of the relationship is a physical relationship. We have to remember that we were talking about why an engagement is important. An engagement is important because it gives you a time when you are committed to each other. So you have this public commitment, which changes the way other people treat you, and it changes the way you treat each other but you don't have a physical relationship yet. You don't have a sexual relationship yet. And so that gives you some time to make sure that you have your social, your spiritual, and your intellectual relationships firmly in place. Then later, just as a table or a stool can stand on three legs, later you can add that fourth leg. And then the sexuality is strengthening a relationship that's already there rather than trying to be the foundation for it. In most places in the world, the first part of the relationship is the sexuality. Then the couple spends the next how many years trying to figure out what else they have in common. What else bonds them? Is there anything besides sex that bonds them? And that usually it's quite a struggle for these couples to find the other parts of their relationship because they have relied so heavily on that one leg, sexuality, physical relationship. Those who strengthen the three legs and then add the fourth are much better off as they go into a marriage than those who start with one leg and then spend the next forever trying to figure out the other three legs. So what's an engagement for? It's a time to strengthen the three legs before you add the fourth. And then that way later in your marriage, when times get hard, later in your marriage, when the kids are all driving you crazy and you just think, oh man, what do we have in common besides the kids? Then you're able to look back and say, yeah, we really did have something in common. We really do have a relationship. And then you can go back and try to strengthen that relationship again. So it's time. It's time for a restoration of dating. And it's time for a restoration of a real engagement. And I think that as we do that, then we're going to see a whole new generation of young people who are building friendships and learning social skills, valuing other people for more than just their looks. We're going to see marriages that start and stay strong because that marriage is going to have a foundation under it that goes beyond the bedroom. So there's my plea. Just like the restoration started small in upstate New York, but now it fills the world. I believe that if we can start with just a few people, a few young people, a few young couples, we can spread this news, spread this philosophy, spread this vision, and we can make a positive difference. 
And I truly think that majority of people in the world know that what you're saying is the right way anyways. But they don't want to do that. It's so much easier to just be sexual first and then be emotional later. In the moment, it's easier. You know, I had yeah. a student who played baseball at Stanford, and he and his wife, uh, they, they later came to BYU, but when they were at Stanford, they were uh, just uh, dating each other. But they were not having a sexual relationship, and they weren't living together. And everybody on the baseball team uh, just teased him mercilessly that he was um, not sleeping with his girlfriend. And all the girls just teased her mercilessly because she wasn't sleeping with her boyfriend. And yet that's how they acted at the parties. That's how they treat them in public. And yet privately, every one of the girls of the the girlfriends of the other team members came to her and said, you're doing it right. I wish I'd done it that way. And all the boys came to him privately and said, you know what? You guys have a much better thing going on than we do because you've, you've made that choice. And I thought it was so interesting that these weren't members of the church. And yet they recognized that this couple had something special that they didn't have. And they realized that they were doing it right and that they wished they had made a different choice. Thanks so much for sharing that. I think that's a very powerful principle, this, this principle of the four legs of the table. So is this, is this a Brother Wilcox original or is this is something you found? <laughs> I have taught for years with a, a wonderful man named Scott Anderson, he was a teacher at EFY. He was a teacher in the church educational system. And we have traveled and taught together for years. And when I uh, became a bishop of a YSA ward, he was just finishing being a bishop uh, in, in his own ward. And uh, I called him and said, hey, I need some advice. Help me out. And he said, well, when you talk to the young couples, he says, I always talk to them about a table. I always talk to him about four legs on a table. And so it was Brother Scott Anderson who gave me that analogy, and I've used it for years and years. And it's a, a wonderful way to visualize the importance of that firm foundation. I really think that the principles of this table should obviously be taught at a younger age. And that's, I think, part of the problem, too. I think you would agree that this also isn't being taught very well by parents in the home or by the youth leaders. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, we, we talk about not dating until age 16. That doesn't mean we don't have friendships. It doesn't mean we don't have group activities. It's very important for young people to go to dances and such. But as far as spending time together one-on-one, -on -one, that's how I say dating, that shouldn't happen until we're 16. Young people fight that. Even adults fight that. Oh, but my daughter needs to go to homecoming. Oh, she got asked to homecoming and we have a beautiful dress. And, and it doesn't matter if she's not 16 yet. You know, I mean, people find all kinds of ways to, to wriggle out of that. But the bottom line is there's wisdom in waiting. Not waiting for social activities, but waiting for spending time together one-on-one. -on -one. And there's wisdom in waiting for having a serious relationship, a serious one-on-one -on -one relationship until college age. There's, there's wonderful wisdom in that. And as people have followed that practice, as people have been willing to conform their behavior and their, and their lives to that prophetic counsel, they feel blessed and they see that things unfold in their lives a lot more naturally in a much more healthy way than those who fight that counsel. Thanks for expanding on that comment. You know, I just reflect on my own time as a youth and Brianna and I have mentioned this before. We didn't understand some of that basic terminology, even when it was given to us as a youth. People were so quick to say, make sure when you're out there, there's no heavy petting. 
and you're like, okay, yeah, <laughs> but that's it. Like, what does well, that what does that mean to your teenager? And you know? I feel like sometimes youth leaders are a little scared to like breach the topic of sexual purity. I remember growing up and going to young women's and. Every once in a while, we would read that little paragraph in the first strength of youth, but we never really would delve into the topic very much, like purity and chastity and have open conversations. And I feel like that really was detrimental to me a lot through my teenage years, because like Jerry said, like, I don't understand what, you know, heavy petting or necking and all that is. <laughs> it has totally different names now. And so, um, you know, I thought I was fine growing up and, you know, I didn't have a full understanding of the law of chastity. So I think that's something that needs to become a more open conversation because honestly, my mom is a great mother, but she never gave me the sit down like sex talk either. And I think part of that is because a lot of families rely on the church and they think you're getting that from the church, which is another reason why I love, you know, the Come Follow Me and this new initiative to make it a home centered thing because you're it's putting the pressure back on the families to make sure they're teaching their kids these proper principles. Yeah, and just the same way that those words didn't communicate to you that what your parents and leaders were hoping it would communicate, I think in the same way we have to lose the word dating from our vocabulary because it doesn't communicate what we want it to communicate either. So just like we would say, don't touch somebody's private parts above or below clothing. See, that is that's petting and and yet kids don't call it petting so we have Mm -hmm. to define it in a way that they'll understand and in the same way i think another mistake that we often make is we don't call body parts by their regular name we come up with all these little nicknames for body parts and we're much better off. It's much more respectful and even more reverent if we'll just use the names of body parts that are anatomical and not try to come up with these little names that that then communicate disrespect or communicate comical tone. I think we can just do better in our communication by choosing the right words. I totally agree with our with our daughter. She's almost three. We've been teaching her all the correct terminology as well, because we think that's really important to I mean, to keep everything like serious and also very clear for them from a young age, uh, what everything is. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're smart to do that. All right. So another thought that I had was going back to your son dating in a Provo YSA ward. Obviously, this can take place in any YSA ward. And he said that people wouldn't want to date him or people wouldn't want to be involved with him because he was dating somebody else. Now, now wait, I got to clarify. It wasn't that he was dating someone else. It's that he had asked someone on one date. That goes around the entire ward that they are a couple. But from one date, he was afraid to ask somebody for fear that then he would be committed to this person at least in the eyes of everybody around them. And then if he asked somebody else, then he'd be seen as a two-timer and and then nobody would want to go out with him. So it just is an awkward situation for people to be in. So the thing that would that would occur or that I would hear as well is that people didn't want to date in their own YSAs. Think about this. A ward that's created for young single adults to come together and meet. People don't want to date inside because of the phrase, You don't want to pee in the pool. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just so crazy because the same thing happens at BYU. You don't want to date anybody in your classes. You don't want to date anybody in your ward. So who the heck are you dating? Somebody you don't (laughs) even know? Oh, you don't want to date somebody from your mission. And you don't want to date somebody from, I mean, my gosh. And then, oh, no, I'm not going out on any blind dates. So what do they do? They find each other on social media. They find each other on a dating app where people can pretend to be whatever they want to be. And so they are attracted just to the physical. And then they have these interactions where people are pretending to be what they want to be. And you wonder why those relationships struggle so much. 
Yeah, no, we see that a lot as well. And I think a lot of the issue with dating comes back to what we were talking about is the world defines dating as something sexual. And I feel like the reason your son was having issues with them labeling them as a couple after one date is because it's pretty much expected that on your first date, you're going to at least kiss, if not make out. That's pretty common. And that's a big issue because no right person would go around and date and make out with multiple people at the same time. And so that's something that we talked about in one of our podcast episodes is how important it is that you don't even think about kissing someone until you have officially become boyfriend and girlfriend. Because dating, the actual process of going on dates with different people at the same time should be should be all about connecting with someone, like you said, emotionally, spiritually, and intellectually, so that you can get to know this person. And then once you start to involve all the physical aspect, it's a lot harder to get to know someone because let's be honest, like we're young people and we have hormones and, you know, sometimes we don't think the clearest. And then when you involve all of that, it just makes it way more difficult. Well, over the course of over the course of my uh, lifetime, I've spent a lot of time doing EFYs and FSYs. And I see counselors who work together all summer. And then by the end of the summer, a lot of them start pairing up. And I'm thrilled because they got to know each other by working together, by serving together. They didn't get to know a picture on on Facebook and then try to pretend like they had a relationship. They had a relationship. They saw each other on good days. They saw each other on bad days. They saw each other in good times and hard times. I think the same thing happens on missions where there's no pressure to date then there are elders and sisters who work together and they're not thinking, oh, this is a date. They're just spending time together and working together in the same cause. And as they do that, they really get to know the person. And then after their missions, some of those missionaries do end up becoming couples and some of them end up getting engaged and married. And I think it's wonderful because their foundation is so strong because it was a relationship that was built on spending a lot of time together, working toward the same end, doing some service together, being engaged with good, positive activities. And and you think, gosh, I don't think that anybody says, oh, well, EFY is the place to meet your future spouse or, um, you know, for the counselors or even, you know, go on a mission and meet your future spouse. I don't think people even think that, but that's that's part of the reason it works, because people aren't thinking about that. They're thinking about other things and those relationships come along later. And that's the whole point. Yeah, I think majority of people that end up together or go on a date and don't quote me on this but I would say majority of people it's because they've had some kind of interaction with someone already I think the odds of somebody you know spot seeing somebody and asking them on a date or or getting some girl's number randomly getting some guy's number randomly I mean and and look I, I don't mean to downplay social media apps I know that a lot of or dating apps I know that a lot of young people meet that way, and we have some wonderful relationships that come out of that. But that's hopefully because they've taken time to get to know each other beyond just what the picture looks like on the dating app. And you shouldn't just depend on dating apps to do all your dating. You should take advantage of situations you're in, like you're talking about, you know, in your ward or in classes or EFY and in-person situations to get to meet other people that you can date as well. Because I feel a lot of people feel that the only way to meet people nowadays is through dating app. And that is far from the truth. I think it's because a lot of a lot of young adults and youth are scared of actual in-person interactions, which is something that we tell our listeners a lot is the only way you're going to get over that is by getting out there and interacting in person (laughs) and going on more dates. And we invited our listeners to do a a three dates a month kind of goal for themselves. And we actually had some pushback because people were like, oh, well, if we go on three dates a month, then that's that's wrong to the people we're dating. 
And so it's back to that whole mindset. A, a date is a commitment to be with someone. Exactly. And it's a way to connect and get to know multiple people and open up these friendships that are possibilities. And that's why we need this restoration. We need to start seeing it like it is instead of seeing what it has become. In my mission prep class at BYU, I always assigned my students to go on dates. And they were like, this is a mission prep class. We shouldn't be dating. I said, well, yeah, you should. Because if you don't have the courage to ask a girl out, how are you ever going to have the courage to ask somebody to join the church? And if you don't have enough know-how to plan a fun activity, then how on earth are you going to plan and fill your time on a mission? Mm -hmm. And if you don't know how to talk to somebody one-on-one, eye-to-eye, face-to-face, how are you going to deal with a mission? So I would say, get out there and date. I said, dating is the best mission prep you could ever have because you'll be learning those very skills that are so important in missionary work. Yep. Thank you. That's a that's such a good analogy. So you heard it first. Get out there and ask out girls. That's the number one thing you can do. <laughs> <laughs> or girls, you know, vice versa. You know, let's girls go on missions too. Yep. And I don't have anything against a girl asking a guy out. I just think that we've got to make sure that it just doesn't spell commitment, that nobody is entering into that and saying, hey, let's spend some time together one-on-one, let's go to dinner, let's go to a show, and then thinking that suddenly that means there's an engagement ring on your finger. Yes. We're focusing really hard on trying to help these podcast listeners understand this very concept. And we've, we've talked about it in several different forms now, that we are trying to help people understand dating in a better way, that they can be less stressed out and have more fun and be more comfortable. Because like I've said, you know, guys, I've I had a very stressful, anxiety-inducing dating relationship, you know, myself. I didn't like dating at all. And when I was when I was married, I was like, whew, I'm glad that was over. Because, <laughs> and, and I'm sad that that was my perspective because I didn't feel like I really took what I could have from dating and, and all my exchanges if I had an attitude like that. And it's because my attitude was like that all along. And I say that because I don't want anyone to repeat that mistake. I want... I want people listening to this to realize what we're getting at here is that we have a chance to make friendships. And if anything has to be broken off or ended, try try to have all of those be on the most positive light so that you don't have any any bad connections or, or bad exchanges leaving leaving someone behind. You know, I speak so much throughout the church that I often run into girls that I dated in high school. In fact, one of the girls I dated in high school, her son ended up being in my mission. Oh, that's awesome. That was an incredible experience because she and I built a friendship. And it wasn't a matter of looking back and feeling embarrassed and thinking, oh, my gosh, every time I interview this missionary, I'm going to be thinking of his mom and and the stuff we did. No, we went to dances. We had a blast. We were great friends. And so I was able to interact with this missionary with joy because of the relationship that his mom and I had had. I'm still in touch with many of the young ladies that I took to different dances. One time at Education Week, the girl I took to junior prom came, showed up with her kids to attend the talk. I had her stand up. I said, hey, this was my date to junior prom. Everybody (laughs) clapped. And not once did I have to stop and say, oh, I'm going to be so embarrassed because this girl and I did things that I don't now I'm I'm embarrassed about. No, I never had to feel that way because all we did was have fun and, and have a great relationship and talk and, and built a friendship that continues to this day. And that's what we want young people to have. And that's the that's the foundation on which I gained the skills necessary to be able to dive into a deeper and lasting relationship with my wife. Thank you for that. We completely agree with you. I think that these connections can span a lifetime. Okay, so before we get ready to wrap this up, we have our question from Instagram. So that question comes from Cameron Withack underscore 22. And he says, how do we know through prayer 
that the person we are dating is the right one for us versus our own thoughts, hopes, wishes, or desires? That's a wonderful question. I think the thing that has helped me is to realize that God speaks to us through our thoughts and our feelings. We learn that in the Doctrine and Covenants. But then we are left with the question of when is it my own thoughts, when is it my own feelings? I found in my own life that instead of looking for strong thoughts and strong feelings, I look for consistent ones. I mean, everybody has cold feet now and then, but what's the general feel when you're together? Everybody has a few doubts now and then. Gosh, should I really marry this guy? Gosh, should I really get engaged to this guy? But what's the general feel when you're together? Think about when Christ came to the Americas and the people heard a voice. And at first they didn't understand the voice. And then it came again and they didn't understand it. And then it came again. And finally they understood it. I think there's a lesson in that. When the Lord is trying to communicate to us, then he will send those feelings and those thoughts over and over and over again. So rather than looking for one big burst of revelation that says, ta-da, this is your eternal companion, instead of looking for that moment, look for a lot of little confirmations all along the way. And when you start seeing so many confirmations, one after another after another, when you can feel good about being with the person at different times of day and over different, in different situations, then you start building this, this whole backlog of, of confirmations that really do uh, give you the security to move forward. If you move forward just because you had a strong feeling, if you quit a relationship because you had a strong feeling, then you're always going to look back and say, was that me or was that God? Was I just afraid or was God sending me a message? But if you have built your relationship on many, many, many consistent confirmations over time, then you can proceed with confidence. And in that moment when you feel a little doubtful, in that moment when you feel a little afraid, you can look back and say, you know what? If this really weren't meant to be, how come I have felt so good about it over and over and over and over again? And that is a peaceful, comforting, and secure feeling to have as you start making these choices. I agree with that. And to you, Cameron, I hope that answered your question. From single to sealed, I would also add that uh, if you haven't listened for a while, go back and listen to that three-part series, Patterns of Light by Elder Bednar. And I feel like that perfectly sums up what he's saying here, that most of the time, even an apostle will receive revelation little, little bits at a time and in small manner. You mean something I said is in line with Elder Bednar? Hey, I'm feeling good about that. <laughs> Do you have any last thoughts that you want to say to wrap up the episode? Anything else that you want to really impress on our listeners regarding dating or redefining and rest restoring dating? I just want people to know that it's worth it. We live in a world where so many people are afraid of this. They're afraid of relationships. They they, they say this Generation Z, the iGen, that they just are so afraid that they cut themselves off emotionally from everyone because they're so afraid of getting hurt. And I just want you to know that you're looking at it wrong. If you're just looking at relationships and thinking, I'm afraid of getting hurt, and yes, I know that comes from a lot of divorces that you've dealt with, that comes from a lot of hurts and pains, but you're overlooking the joy that can be found in positive, healthy, wonderful relationships. I am so grateful for the friendships that fill my life. I'm grateful for my deep and enduring love with my wife. I'm so grateful for my relationship with my family. 
I'm just grateful for the bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood that we feel in the gospel, the link I have with my missionaries, the link that I have with the men and women with whom I serve. I just don't know where we'd be without these relationships that bring so much satisfaction and purpose to our lives. So, yeah, can relationships be scary? Of course. But is it worth it? Yeah. Can relationships take some work? Yeah. But is it worth it? Yeah. Missions can be scary, but they're worth it. Missions take a lot of work, but it's worth it. Your life is better because of that mission. Even if there were some lessons you learned that were hard. And I want you to know that I believe that. I've learned it from my own experience. And I hope that that will give some of you the confidence to stretch outside your comfort zone, reach out to others, and find the joy I feel in these wonderful relationships that fill my life. Thank you for those words of wisdom. I love the last line that you just said, that it, that's what truly brings you that joy in your life. And I think Satan really wants to taint dating because if he taints dating, he taints marriage. And he's he doesn't want you to feel that joy. He doesn't want you to have that connection and that love and that fulfillment that you can only find through a beautiful, healthy, successful, eternal marriage. And he's yeah he's starting with dating and so we just got to go back to the root of it to to fix these problems and and get off on the right foot well thank you thank you brianna and jerry for being such good examples to others and uh thanks for letting me be with you tonight thank you so much for joining us and we'll link down below um some of the stuff we referenced in this episode and give a little bit more information we'll share your instagram so they can find you on instagram and and connect with you a little bit more there. Is there any other ways that they can connect with you if they have questions or want to reach out to you? Sure. Instagram's a good way. Facebook is a good way. And uh, you can always go to the faculty page at BYU and find my contact information there. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. It really is amazing having you with us and definitely, I think, a dream come true for us. We've always, we've always loved hearing your words and we're so grateful that you've given us another opportunity to create one of those memories together so well thank you keep up the great work to all you listeners out there thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode we really hope that you enjoyed and that you can really take to heart the things that we're talking about today because the restoration of dating isn't going to happen just by talking about it the restoration of dating is going to happen by us doing it and all of us doing it together so it can roll forth just like the restoration of the gospel as we know it today so thanks again If you enjoy Single to Sealed, be sure to invite your friends to help our podcast family grow. If you haven't subscribed, followed, or favorited, be sure you do so you don't miss out on any of our great content. Thank you for joining us today as we help you move one step closer to sealing the deal. We'll We'll see see you next time. time.